Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 2. We're already in chapter 2. Is that amazing? Yeah. We're, just, we're just jamming. In the first uh, section we did, or the second section we did last week uh, in Matthew, we, talk about the, we talked about the virgin birth of Christ, how essential that is. It's, the, it's one of the foundational uh, doctrines of the Christian faith. It's one of the essentials. It's one of the cornerstones. Otherwise, if, if, if the virgin birth is not true, then who was Jesus? Just a man. Just a, man. Just a sinner, just like you and me. And how then could he save us? But this was unlike any other birth in history, this miraculous, uh, miraculous intervention of God. Jesus, it says, who would save his people from their sins, that he would be Savior, this, uh, this one who came from heaven, Emmanuel, God with us, the deity or the divinity of Jesus Christ. He was fully God, and yet he was also fully man. The key verse that it keeps coming back to me for the book of Matthew is this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The first step, step one, is seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The other stuff will come together. And then he goes on to talk about not worrying, but that's Matthew 6.33, and that kind of overarching the whole thing. So today, we're going to look in chapter 2, the first 12 verses, and we're going to look at the wise men. Not wise guys, wise men. I like that bumper sticker uh, in some ways that says, wise men still seek him. How many of you have that on your car? We've we got a sale on them in the back today. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's some facts about all this, right? But there's also some fables. We talked about the virgin birth, that, that this is rock solid, and this is one of the foundational cornerstones of our faith. But... We start to then go to the next chapter and we see this, these three wise men, these three kings, right? They even have names. I didn't write the names down because they were ridiculous. <laughs> but the question is, were they wise men? Well, yes, they were wise. Were there three of them? Who knows? Right. No one knows. Did they go to the stable? Probably not. The bottom line about these guys, we're pretty sure that they were guys. The bottom line about them is this, is that they went a long way to seek after and worship the king. This is, this is what we can see about these, these wise men. They went a long way they put out a lot of effort, a lot of capital, financial treasures to seek after and find the king and worship him. That's what we, what we see about these guys. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now Bethlehem, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They came to Jerusalem though. 
And Bethlehem is, is really only about five miles south of Jerusalem. It's very, very close. Five miles south of Jerusalem, Bethlehem is. Um, but Bethlehem was a very important place, and Jesus was born there. We talked about that already. Jesus was, was born there. Jacob buried his wife Rachel there. Ruth met Boaz there. But most importantly, what's the most important thing about Bethlehem? Who can tell me? Because we've talked about this already. It was the city of David, the city where David was born. Of course, they began to call Jerusalem the city of David later, but uh, this was the city where he grew up. And basically, it really wasn't a city. It was a small, tiny little town, this place, Bethlehem. But later, in, in, uh, when, when they were talking about Jesus, they said, it says in John 7, it says, Doesn't, does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem? the town where David lived. And we talked about the fact and the reason why they ended up in Bethlehem. So, so Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, and he's one of the players here. And then the Magi, of course, we have Jesus, we have the uh, King Herod, we have the Magi, we have the people uh, that were there in Jerusalem. And we have later on, we'll see some leaders, the Jewish uh, religious leaders. King Herod, now let's talk about him for a minute because he kind of plays into this. And, and next week we'll, we'll see more of how this particular part plays out. But King Herod, he, he was called King Herod the Great. But he ruled uh, in the area of Jerusalem and in, in, in that area uh, of Israel really um, from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Okay? They've, they've determined this by all the records. He died around 4 B.C., right? Okay, so what does that tell you already? 4 B.C., if King Herod was there. It, it, kind of a little question mark about exactly when Jesus was born, right? What year he was born in. It had to be before 4 B.C. Because King Herod, this Herod the Great, died, died at 4 B.C. But he was a ruthless man, this guy. He, uh, he murdered his favorite wife. He murdered three of his sons. He murdered, uh, murdered other members of his family. And the, the main reason was that he was insecure and he wanted to hold on to his power. He was afraid that somehow they would uh, take over his power. And he didn't last very long anyways at this point in time. But a Roman ruler, uh, some think it was actually one of the Caesars, says that it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. This guy was so ruthless. He married at least nine times. And, and, uh, but at the same time, he was a great builder, too. And he was the one who began to like, rebuild the temple and make it into this beautiful, beautiful edifice. It wasn't finished before he died. It was many, many years later that it was actually finished. But he got the whole project going. He built all kinds of, of monuments. And, and a lot of it was, again, uh, just to make himself look good. But he was, he was really into that. So, so he's a player in the story. Then the Magi, it says, they came from the east. Who were these guys now that we're talking about the wise men? Well, you know, as best as we can determine, these Magi, they were a group of, of scholars or philosophers. Some say astrologers. Some say astronomers. And we don't, you know, we can't, we can't totally just put them into our time frame, right? Now, when you say astrologer in a church, you go, oh, bad. Right? Some of you probably have your astrology thing right in your lap and you're looking down to it. I know. We're going to send around people checking. Because no astrologers, 
you know, but, but these guys, whatever, whatever they were, they were watching the stars, they were studying the stars, they were, they were you know, wanting to, to keep, uh, that was just what they were into at that time. I want to say the Bible does talk in a negative fashion, though, about astrology. You don't need to see how the stars line up to figure out what your next step is. You need to pray and ask God to direct. Seek first His kingdom, not uh, looking for it in the stars. But it says that, that they saw His star in the east. They saw His star in the east, and, and it was something different, though. Something, you know, not normal. They'd been studying. They'd been watching. But something happened that was very out of the ordinary. And I believe it was a supernatural thing. They traveled, they saw this, they traveled, and again, these magi, they came. We don't know how many of them there were. There was, the, the, the stories talk about there being only three. Why? Anybody know? Because of the three gifts, and it's as simple as that. And they were given names and, and even their appearances were spelled out. But, but we have to be careful of adding to the facts, you know. You know, uh, drag, you remember that show, Dragnet? Only the facts, ma'am. Only the facts. And, and only the facts about this is what, you know, we can add things and, you know, but this, we don't build our faith on whether there were three wise men, whether they were kings, whether they were astrologers, astronomy, whatever. We don't build our faith on this. But we can look at their example. And again, their example was this. As I said earlier, they traveled a very long distance. Some think it was thousands of miles. Some uh, believe that they came from the area of Persia, which would be like in the, uh, you know, uh, near the Babylon, Babylon area. And they traveled this distance. Why? Because they wanted to find the king. And that's what they said. Where is the one born? King of the Jews. Where is the one who was born? who has been born king of the Jews, they came to find the king, and it says that they came to worship him. Notice that they said, where's the one who is born, who has been born king of the Jews? That's another factor of the scripture, that there was only one, and that he was a king from birth. Nathaniel said to Jesus, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. But I'm also reminded in the end of Luke, where they put a sign up above his head, on the cross that said, this is the king of the Jews. From the moment he was born to the moment that he died, this is the king of the Jews. From all eternity before that to all eternity ahead, the king, the king. Seek first the kingdom of God. It says that we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Jesus, worthy of all worship, he's, he's not just a man, as people would say as many false religions would teach, that he's just a man. As soon as they get to that point in time, and this is and, and, and essentially where all false cults and religions go off is in the who the person of Jesus Christ is. Okay? It always comes back to that. When they, if they have that part right, they might have other issues, but if they've got that part right, there, there's going to be a soundness. But when you start... Start playing around with that and coming up with all these guys. Just a good teacher and he taught a good thing. He's a prophet. Okay, he was a prophet. But they came to worship him and, and the only one who's worthy of worship is God, right? Why would you worship just a baby? Why would you come in and worship, you know, a child? But these guys, they came and they wanted to give their hearts. They wanted to worship the king, 
They spent a lot of money to get there. They brought a lot of treasures with them. They came a long ways to seek the king and to worship him. Later on in, in Matthew, Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. There was this, there was this passion, you see. He found where the treasure was, and Jesus said, when you find it, you, you'll do anything that you need to do to get that treasure, right? And these, these wise men, these magi, they, they were going to do whatever they could to find the king and worship him. I think about, you know, sometimes our, our, our motivation and our dedication sometimes is a little bit weak, don't you think? Well... I'll go to church if the sun's out. You know, if it doesn't snow five out of seven Sundays, you know, I'm tired of that. I'm, you know, I'm going to wait until spring. I'm going to wait till summer. You know, I'm going to wait till they have carpet on the floor. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> to expect me to go and walk on cement? You see, we have all kinds of things. You know, what, is there really something in our heart that's burning like these wise men that I've got to go and find the king and I've got to worship him? No matter what's on TV, no matter what is going on in the world and, and whether there's a war going on or not, is there something inside of me that says, I want to find the king, I want to worship him? Or is there lots of other things that, that we're worshiping? And worship is simply where we give our heart. It's a simple uh, definition, what we give our heart to. Have we given our heart to, to money, to, to things? to power, position, passion? Have we given our hearts to lots of other things where, where there's only one that deserves worship? The kingdom of heaven, like treasure hidden in a field. It says when, verse 3, look with me to verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Well, he was disturbed, all right, as I already said. He was, he was disturbed from day one, this guy, and, and he progressively actually got worse and worse and worse, this guy. And he could take it out on all Jerusalem, and I'm sure he made things very difficult for them. But he was so fearful, he was so jealous, he was such a you know, control freak, and, and Jesus was a threat because they said he was a king. But I think it was more than that because he, they, they said they wanted to worship him as well. He wanted it all. He wanted it all for himself. And, uh, you know, I hate to say this about us, but when we get fearful and, and jealous and we want to control, uh, we, can, we can do things that ought not to be done. But he was a rival. But the birth of Jesus, what we see in this passage, is that the birth of Jesus causes lots of different reactions, doesn't it? Lots of, lots of different, and, and people react to Jesus and, and who he is in a lot, a lot of different ways, a lot of different responses. Verse 4, it says, When he, that is Herod, he called together the, all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, and he's quoting Micah, Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler 
who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. He called the religious leaders together, the Jewish scholars. And he asked them, and, and the first thing they said was, listen, of course, it's well known. The Messiah, the Christ, the one who's going to be born, he says the word Christ here, is going to be born in Bethlehem five miles from here, basically right around the corner. This prophecy given some 700 years earlier, they knew the scripture. You'd think, and, and you look at the, the broad uh, view of this passage, you'd think that because you know, of all this you know, story about what it was, you'd think that they would make the trip five miles, right? If they knew that, and then there's some people saying, hey, we've seen the story, you know, this could be the time. Herod's like all freaking out about it. You'd think that these religious leaders would say, let's go check it out. It's only five miles away. I, I, I don't know. I have been here in Rhode Island a, lo you know, a long time, over 20 years, right? And you know where I'm going with this. The Rhode Island mentality, maybe it, it affects people in other places too. Like five miles? Like Providence? You, I live in Warwick. You want me to come to Providence? Why? Can't we meet halfway? <laughs> you know, five miles. It's this it's thing, you know, and, and, and really, a lot of times we don't make the move. We'll say, well, no, nah, it's in Providence. I, you know, I'll do it another year. You know, because we're not really that, we're not really that keen on making the move, right? We're, it's, we don't have enough of a drive to make the drive. Right? I don't want to drive to the other side of Warwick half the time. But out of Bethlehem, it says, and they quoted it, would come a ruler and a shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. How sweet is that? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Why does he need to be secretive like that? Why does he need to be careful like that? Again, this guy is disturbed. It says, Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Is that what he wanted to do? Just because somebody says, I want to worship, doesn't necessarily mean it's true. He called these magi and he wanted to know, he wanted to kind of get this thing together, send them out like spies, really, without them even knowing it. But his motive was not to worship. His, his motive was to do away with him, just as he had done away with many, many others. Let's get rid of him. Later uh, in the chapter, in, in the last half of the chapter, we'll see he went out and had you know, babies killed so that he could try to get to that baby. His reaction, his response to the child, kill him. Verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king... That is, the Magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place 
where the child was. They went on their way. They kept going forward. They, they hadn't arrived. They hadn't found the king yet. They were going to do whatever it, it took to get to that place. They're now very, very close. Perhaps they didn't know how close they were, but they heard about this. Herod says, Bethlehem's the place. Go to Bethlehem. But notice this, the, the star that they're seeing, you know, that, that the star is like leading them again. It went ahead of them. The star they had seen earlier, and, and it, it appears that it wasn't always out or wasn't always shining like that, but now it's shining again for sure, and they're going to follow it again. And, and, you know, this tells me again that it was a supernatural thing that God was doing in this thing. If you can't believe in a supernatural star moving the way God would have it move, how could you believe in a supernatural birth like the virgin birth? You see, once you start to throw out all the miraculous, as, as many have done through the years, you, what do you have? You have nothing. Some say, well, you know, it was this, it was this convergence of uh, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, I think. And that's what it was. But, you know, it appears here that, you know, it, it's moving and it's directing in a certain way. Well, that doesn't fit with what they're trying to uh, suggest. But God was directing them. They had it in their hearts to seek and find the king and worship him. And God directed them. See, God saw their hearts. God saw the desire of their hearts. And he was going to answer that desire, the desire that, that they had in their hearts to find him. Look at verse 10. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. They got to the end of their journey. They found the child, it says, and they were overjoyed. They saw the star, they got there, and there was something that was full of joy for them. The joy at the end of the journey to find the king. That's where true joy is. That's where true fulfillment is. That's where true hope is. We look forward around us, you know, so often I look around and I think, ah, oh, this, is, this is not good. But when I focus back on the Savior, I find that's where hope is. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I feel hopeless. And, and, and lately I've been having this thought, I feel, I feel hopeless, but it's because I'm not looking at the hope. Because the truth is there is only one hope and it's found in Him. And when I refocus, I find that's where the hope is. That's the only hope I have. It's not in the economy. It's not in what's around us. It's not in a building program or anything else. It's in Jesus, the Savior, the King. Notice they came to the house. Well, I thought it was a stable. I thought it was three kings and they were all dressed up real funny and they came and they rode camels and, and they came to the stable and the camels got down and they got off and came into the stable and, and, and isn't that what happened? Isn't that you know, what you see in the little pageants and the little plays that the kids put on? And They went to a house. In fact, they call Jesus a child and the word they use for child is, is child, not a baby. There's a different word they could use for baby, you see. So he's probably like one, between one and a half to two years old at this point in time. And they, for whatever reason, they're still there in Bethlehem. They decided to stay there. You know, maybe being a carpenter, there was work there. You know, they could find, find a job there. 
They got there, though, and they saw the child, what they'd been looking for for so long. They'd been searching and seeking to find the child, to find the king, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They set out to do this. They received the goal of their hearts, and in the end, it doesn't matter who they were, whether they were astrologers, astronomers, wise men, kings, whatever they were. In the end, what mattered most is that they found the king and they bowed down and they worshipped him. That's the great equalizer, right? We're all the same at the foot of Jesus Christ, right? There were some that came to Jesus. They would, you know, they would wash his feet or they would you know, cry and wash their feet, his feet with their tears, that kind of thing. We're all the same at the feet of Jesus. They honored him for who he was. It says they opened up their treasures and they presented him with gifts. And, and I love that, you know, looking at these gifts, this, the, the, the thoughts that came out of it, they brought him gold. And gold was something that subjects would bring to their kings. That's why kings ended up with so much gold, because it was something that people would bring to kings. They brought him incense. And, and incense, when you look into the Old Testament, incense was burned before who? Before God, they worshipped him as God. They worshipped him as king. And then they brought this myrrh. And there's really kind of two things with this. The, 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 the sacred anointing oil that you read about in the Old Testament. The first ingredient of the sacred anointing oil was myrrh. And they would take this anointing oil and they would anoint the priests, the high priests. But Jesus Christ, the word Christ means anointed one. But not only, not only that, secondly, the, the, this myrrh was also used in burial. And, and it says in John 19, they wrapped his body with myrrh and aloes to prepare him, to prepare his body. So maybe perhaps they brought myrrh thinking, and, and, and them not knowing, of course, but us know, knowing now, looking back, we can see that, that he, he, he was coming as a king, but he was coming as a king to die for you and for me, to give his life. The shepherd give his life for each one of us. These men, they came. They did whatever it took to seek the king, to find him and to worship him. Verse 12, they, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and they returned to their country by another route. No way they were going to go back to Herod. They went back by a different way. Herod, we're going to see in the last half of the chapter, uh, you know, some of the stuff that he gets into and some of the stuff that he does and, and what happens in Joseph and Mary, the, the kind of struggles in their lives and, and, and raising and, and having this child Jesus and their responsibility. But looking back now in this section that we've just looked at, the responses to Jesus, number one, the Magi, it says they came to seek the king and to worship him. Herod, his response was he wanted to kill him. Someone said Herod was afraid this little child was going to interfere with his life, his place, his power, his influence. They wanted to say that, that still some today are worried that this little child, this Jesus, is going to interfere with our lives and with what we want to do. Well, I have to say to you, yeah, but you need to put that aside. He will definitely interfere with your life but he will do it in a good way. He'll turn your life upside down, but really it's right side up. The Jewish leaders, though, their, their whole thing was, yeah, they knew about Bethlehem, they knew the passages, and, 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 but they just did nothing, indifference. 
They didn't, do, they didn't go searching for him down. They just, well, well this is the, what the, you know, the books say and everything. And never did anything about it. The people of Jerusalem, they were disturbed, it says. All these different responses. And the same kind of thing in the world today. We have all different responses to who Jesus is. What's our response? What's your response? Is he, is he something that you'll, you will travel for? You will seek with all your heart for? Someone said this, some expect God to come looking for us to explain himself, prove who he is, and give us gifts. But the truly wise still seek and worship Jesus today for who he is, not for what they can get. They came, the Magi, to seek the king and worship him. Let me read to you as we close a few scriptures about seeking after the Lord. In Jeremiah 29, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not just a little corner, not just a little tiny part. In Amos, it says this, The Lord says to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. You want to find life. This is where life is, seeking after the Lord. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Hosea chapter 10, it's time to seek up the Lord. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. Showers righteousness on you. Hebrews 11, those who earnestly seek him, he rewards. And finally, in Acts chapter 17, Paul speaking he talks about the God who made the world and everything in it. The Lord of heaven and earth. He says that God you know, provided all these things. He doesn't live in temples made by hands. He provides places for people to live. He takes care of people. And, and, and it says this, that God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God is at work, and God is at work so that we might seek him and perhaps reach out for him. You know, you see, this isn't just for people who are not Christians. This is reaching every one of you, each and every one of us, each and every day to seek after the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the rest will come together. Will come together. He's not far. He's right here. He's right here. He's right there. Wherever you are, that's where he is. He's there. Seek him. Seek the Lord. Find him when you seek him with all your heart. Let's pray together. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for this king that you, you allowed your son to come to earth to take this human frame that he might be fully man, but also that he was fully God too, that we might worship him like these wise men did. Forgive us for we're so foolish sometimes. The, the, the psalm says the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. So foolish sometimes we, we kind of act like there is no God. We act and we, we, we try to make it on our own. Forgive us, Lord. We pray for your wisdom that we might seek after you with all of our heart and find you because you're, you're right here. You hear our cries. You hear the desires of our hearts. You answer the desires of these wise men as they came at great cost, at great distance to find you. 
to worship you, Lord. We worship you with our hearts. We, we open our hearts to you as God, as King, as Messiah, anointed one, the answer. We bow before you today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.